Hey, welcome to Blank Bodies, Vampire the Masquerade, Tabletop and Horror Podcast. I'm Hunter, and I'm joined today by a very special guest today. We have uh, Jeff, the creator of The Crypt is Open. Ah, thanks for having me. This is uh, not something I expected when I started writing this. <laughs> so this is a really cool experience. Yeah, so I actually uh, found The Crypt is Open through the um, itch.io trans rights in Texas uh, bundle they're doing right now. And I believe when this comes out, it'll be open for another two weeks. So if you haven't checked yeah. that out, definitely. Please do. I, I, they're trying to hit uh, 420, 420,000. Um, and I tell people, it's like, look, when, when we all jumped in on this, it was set at 5K. That was the goal, 5K. And the fact that their last I checked was like 360 is just incredible. And yeah. uh, I cannot cannot believe how successful it's been and i'm i'm super excited when the the, the organizations get their donations because that's just gonna be a here you go yeah because i it's think be great for them yeah i think when i found it it was pretty early i think they were already at like four point something k within like a day or two it oh, seemed yeah. like it, it just blasted it just whoo, skyrocketed it was great it's great to watch every day every day every couple hours to my fiance i'd just be like 10 I just yell out numbers at her. She's like, wait, what are you talking about? Oh, right, right. Okay. <laughs> that was very cool. Yeah. So uh, you, like I said, you're the creator of The Crypt or The Crypt Has Opened. The Crypt Has Opened. Uh, you want to give us kind of like your entry pitch for that? Like, yeah. how would you tell someone who's never heard of it before what it's about? Absolutely. So The Crypt Has Opened is essentially that the apocalypse, the apocalypse came uh, not with a scream, but with the exhalation of a crypt door. And essentially, the uh, thing called the crypt has uh, this either a force or an entity or something has invaded Earth. And all of these crypt doors have opened up, allowing zombies out and vampires. Um, your cryptids that you've always read about now are in force and in mass and just begin to take over uh, earth. And it's a, just a devastating time until people begin to realize that the old world magic has really began to manifest itself in very real and powerful ways. And now practitioners, uh, practitioners of magic have come forth and are now battling against the crypt and you are part of the practitioners who are pushing back against the crypt and trying to what we say reclaim the dead spaces of the world so if you're familiar uh, this is one i use all the time if you're familiar with the stand stephen king's the stand where you have a lot of these just like ghost towns and little pockets of communities here and there you are these pockets of communities that are trying to you know uh reclaim the world and it's set in kind of a, a early 90s, mid 90s uh, aesthetic. Um, so Jinko jeans and your Walkmans, bring them if you got them, because they're, they're there and you're just kind of um, using your various traditions to uh, play in this game where you, you actually can uh, build your own town. That's actually part of the development, not just building your character, but as a group, you build your own town. We have yeah. rules for that. 
I saw that um, when I was reading through the, uh, I believe this is the second 2.0 yes. that's up right now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was a really interesting mechanic. So you have all the players come together and they build their hometown that they're kind yeah. of defending from these cryptids that are crawling exactly. out of mm-hmm. the crypt. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll I tell anybody who asks, it's straight stolen from kids on brooms. <laughs> uh, you build the school and i just really liked that idea um i've been playing a lot of games recently and i like a lot of games where i see that as a mechanic where you're as a table before game the game even begins you've already established either player connections which we have uh in the crypt is open you also build pc connections before the game even starts as well as some kind of um central idea or concept or something to kind of everybody can a cornerstone probably be a great word to use there for everybody to hook into before the adventure begins and gives them something to kind of already be um invested into the game prior to jumping in and in in for the crypt is opened a town for this theme is perfect for that here's your small town or your big city how you know you all decide the population and what it does and what, what it's focused on. And you can just start right off. This is, we all know what we're doing. We're defending our town there. We kind of get past that. Oh, Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Like, gee, I hope the GM, we pick up on the GM's plot hooks and, <laughs> and get the game going. It's, it's ready right off the bat. So that's kind of where, why I wanted to place that in there. Yeah, I like that. I like that giving players motivation outside of, oh, you're all at a tavern, someone's hiring people, or, right. oh, an event happened in front of you, you better be invested in this immediately. Or there's always that, because me as a player, I'll, I'll contrive a reason why my character will be invested because I know, listen, that's why we're here at the table. That's the social contract that we've all agreed to is we've all sat at this table to follow not follow this story but at least be invested in what the gm has has spent their time doing and let's work as a group for this cooperative storytelling and so you know i'll I'll do that but it makes it much easier when you don't have to be so contrived with your reasonings um i've always been maybe little lazy but i always tend to give my players like at least a common job it's like oh you're all working on this like wagon train going across this sit- this area of the Dungeons and Dragons world mm-hmm. or like, oh, you're all working on this ship. So and that's definitely what I've started doing as well in games based on playing all these other games. It always comes back to it's like, well, when I'm running D&D, I take all these concepts and haul it back to, to this and go, OK, you all we all need to come up with why we're a party to begin with and why we're doing this and why are we here and. It just gets past a lot of the, yeah, the, the weirdness and trying to figure it all out at the yeah. table. So another thing that I thought was really interesting um, was the character creation system. Mm-hmm. I know this is uh, based on Blades in the Dark. Yes. But it looks like it's a combination of the magical tradition they ascribe to the, uh, like a stereotype or trope background and then a uh, path of magic as well so it's kind of a three-prong yeah decision choice exactly um so on the outset as i started writing this i realized i you know i'll tell people i am not a practitioner of any kind of real real world magical traditions 
uh, you know, Wiccan and, and whatever and what have you. So when I came to approach this game, I was like, well, I don't want to make up traditions or write what I think these traditions should be. Um, what I decided to do was make very broad umbrella traditions. So things that are fairly universal. Um, so that way you have the nature tradition, which can cover a lot of real world traditions. There's a lot of different, you know, in the West and the East that would consider themselves natural practitioners of magic. There are the, the magic school, you know, uh, tradition. There is the hierarchical tradition, which covers your business leaders and as well as your uh, kind of your Judeo-Christian religions, because they're very hierarchical in their structure. And what that allows you to do as a player is find that tradition that kind of resonates with you and then write your own tradition into that. And what are the specifics and how does that manifest for your character? But you kind of fit within that tradition. So that means any two characters from the same tradition are going to be completely different because it's up to the player to decide how that manifests. Um, and it does come with uh, some mechanical and role play benefits for when you're within those moments. So there isn't, it's just not like a completely arbitrary, just like whatever. So there's, there's a little bit that comes with that. Um, and then you choose your trope. Your trope is like your playbook, I would say. It's kind of like your class type of thing. Uh, we have the backpack, which is your standard kind of healer. It's the backpack healer. Um, the cellar dweller is your ritual caster, the person that primarily wants to be in their lab tinkering with stuff rather than necessarily going out. Um, I like the crypt hunter, which is specifically these are the people that go out to hunt for crypt doors and shut them down. And these are these these tropes uh, are in world term terminology. So people would refer to you as a backpack, would refer to somebody um, as a cellar dweller. And then the paths of magic, because originally I'll, I'll if you look at the first edition of the book. Um, the traditions told you what your primary and secondary paths of magic were, which there are five. Um, there's uh, ceremonial creation, ceremonial creation, crypt, uh, folk, and hex magic. Those are the five paths of magic. Um, and originally it told you what your first, your primary and your secondary were, depending on your tradition. And I realized that still kind of gets back to me ascribing what I think these traditions are and I felt it kind of started limiting people in what tradition they may want to pick so something may resonate with them on a personal level but then they look at what the magical paths are and they go well it doesn't quite fit what I want uh, so we separated those out you get to choose which of the two traditions you get or sorry which of the two uh, paths of magic are your your basically your primary your secondary paths that you start a little bit more powerful at to kind of show your background and your history. Um, in fact, even in the text, it says a lot of practitioners break away from tradition. <laughs> so while we may say in the tradition, this is what the tradition's primarily known for, that doesn't mean you have to go with that. Okay. It's, just, it's just kind of a, a, a you know, in-world kind of nudge. Hey, this is to kind of help you on your way. If you're not sure what you want to do, probably choose these two and it'll match with your tradition. Uh, if not, that's okay. Yeah. Um quick breakdown there yeah that, that's really cool i like having like at least a couple steps like that i did play some blades in the dark and i really liked it but having those extra steps to really kind of personalize a character and is really nice i think uh 
yeah, and all my play tests uh, so far, players have loved it. The, the biggest uh, complaint, I wouldn't say criticism, was can we just have a quick character build chart? <laughs> so we, I find <laughs> I built one of those that'll be coming out in the in the next iteration. It's just a quick like, listen, if you want to play this, here's where you put your points. Go to town. <laughs> yeah. Um. One thing I noticed, and I know it's you know the it starts off with players building a chunk of the world so uh the lore and it's still a beta so the lore seems a little more light Mm -hmm. um and but i actually didn't realize that you were setting in kind of like a 90s Mm. setting which is really interesting because reading through it i was picturing almost more of like a hammer horror kind of like like more (laughs) uh gaslight and sure but and so way i've decided to approach this uh this whole release is what's out in 2.0 is always going to be free basically the srd this is this is the base mechanics here's everything you're going to need to run uh it'll be updated with this next release but i have a whole like i think it ends at chapter 13 i have chapters 14 through 18 or 19 that are just the world that's the bestiary that's all the stuff that's going to get you there that's going to be held off for um because right now like i said it's all free that'll be a paid release basically so if you want the 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 lore and the world and all the bestiary which will also have illustrations and kind of be the more true book form uh that i'll you know but um i don't know how much i'm gonna uh ask for it but that that i figured that would be uh worth something but if you just want the the base mechanics to like you said well, I want to set it in this gaslight kind of thing. Boom, you got it. Like, there's nothing to stop you there. And, and I would tell people, go for it. <clears throat> That's exactly what you should do. Um, whatever, whatever sparks your interest the most. Yeah. Um... That's cool. So uh, do you have a timeline for when these extra parts might come out? Uh, I wish I did. Um, with a full-time job, a voice acting career on the side, and uh, a two-year-old, I write it when I can. <laughs> Fair. Um, so it's, it's what I've done right now is I've gone back through. I'm actually in the midst of editing what everything I have now and, and fleshing a lot out because if uh, there's a couple of parts within the path of magic where the rules are l- a little too light uh, for my taste. Uh, while the, this is a like Blades in the Dark um, narrative first story driven type of game. It's a game where instead of the, in this case, we call it the Crypt Keeper as the GM, the Crypt Keeper, instead of them telling the practitioners or the players, uh, give me this kind of role based on what you're wanting to do. It's a conversation. The player can tell the Crypt Keeper, this is what I want to achieve. And these are the passive magic I'm going to use to achieve that goal. And then the Crypt Keeper in turn will be like, well, here's how difficult I think that would be based on what you're telling me. Do you, do you agree with that? Do you think that sounds reasonable? And most of the time I play test, most players will be like, yeah, that sounds right. Because, you know, I'll, I'll give my justification as to why I think that's probably going to be as difficult as it's going to be. And if not, it should be an open dialogue to, to find that narrative flow. Um, and it just, it's something, again, I, I've, I've pulled back into other games. I've really stopped trying to necessarily say, here's what you need to do for me. Well, tell me what you're going to do to, to get there. And let's determine how, diff- you know, what that will, will mean for the story. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge, like, Ravenloft fan. 
um, played it like second edition, third edition. But one thing I noticed in like a lot of that old D&D stuff, especially is like everything was a chart, including like, oh, you're trying to cast a spell in Ravenloft. Well, how many people are watching that you get this negative and there's like a preset like chart of like a hundred numbers you have to yeah. go through and check every roll, time someone... kind of role master type of just like oh my why do we have to yeah no let's just let's get away from that that's not necessary and we'll we'll we want to tell a story ultimately yeah. i think that's what tabletop gaming is about we're all here to tell a story so let's get to it yeah and i definitely prefer kind of a middle ground i have something i like about the new edition of vampire and getting ready to play um an unknown armies campaign and it's it seems like it's very much like that i like i like a little bit of crunch to my game you know i want mm. uh you know it's the way i want to be told how certain things are going to work but also yes. you need a dialogue behind it if, it, if we're just there's if we're just going to be playing you might as well play a video game at that point. exactly and that and i i think i'm with you on that this is why i went back through and and I've noticed in playtest players do want a little, a, a, as much guidance as possible um, in the original edition. And I'm, I'm leaving all the old editions up as I write them so that people can compare and they may find that an, an older, you know, 1.0 might be more their speed because we, I don't really explain what each, uh, this is going to get more into the mechanics uh, of the paths of magic that I named of those five, there are three aspects that a practitioner can be more focused on. Um, so I use hex as, as the best primary because, or uh, example, because it's the most kind of D&D-esque and that it's our damage dealing uh, class, right? Or our path. It is death magic, curse magic, and protection magic. That is what hex uh, focuses on. So if you want to be all about just, I'm slinging fireballs, then you want death met, like, that's the aspect that you're going to be focused in to, to do that the best, do it better than anybody else. Uh, if you want to be curses, you want to, I want my stuff to linger last a long time. The dots, you know, these are my damage over time stuff. This is, or it's going to pop off later. All right. That's when you want to get into your, your curse magic. Then the protection magic is how do I protect against curses? How do I protect against? Cause on the same side, I don't want this stuff hitting me. I know how bad it is. I want to be able to protect myself against it. Or in general, I know how bad it is. I don't deal in death. I don't deal in curses, but I want to protect people from it. Or I want to protect myself from it. Um, so I was on a roll about that for a reason. Uh, so you have all those, those aspects. So originally, I didn't give a description as to what the hex path does. Like a general, like, this is what it's about. I only uh described the three aspects and what they do but not a general overview of the path itself so in the second edition uh due to some player feedback was like you know here in case you want to do something because the way uh the crypt is open works i want players to feel as open as possible to try any magical idea they can come up with that unlike a lot of games where it's like here's the spell that you have no you have access to magic what can you come up with? What is your your idea of magic and how do you want to do this thing? If it's not covered in one of those three aspects, you can kind of default then to the overall path. Well, based on what I'm trying to do, this is probably the path of magic I'm trying to use in order to do that. And that sets um, some of the dice that you'll use to do that. 
Um, and it does limit some other things. So most of the time I'm trying to, the mechanics are trying to push you towards and to use an aspect. That's when you're going to be at your most powerful. Um, but because what I've found is if you're trying to do something super crazy that doesn't fit in an aspect, we want to limit that more because that means you are trying to do like world shattering, world changing <laughs> type of magic. It probably shouldn't be as easy to do. Absolutely. I've been looking actually into a lot of different magic systems. I've had a little bit of an idea for a game rattling around in my head. And so like just really, I've just been looking at different games and how they handle their magic. And mm. that is a big problem because you end up with like D&D where you have this giant list of things you have to dig through. And even then, one of the biggest complaints I hear about like the newest edition of D&D is there's too many types of wizards and not enough spells for them. Uh, <laughs> You know, that's what I felt about fourth edition when he really when he really got it down to. I was like, oh, everything at this level does this much damage. Or if it doesn't do this much damage, it's because it has these kind of effects. But if you took out all the, uh, if you looked at just raw numbers, you realized everything at this level does one of these three things, regardless of the class. And it just, that's when it really fell apart for me. Because I was just like, well, does it really matter what I play? Because we're all doing the same thing, essentially, it feels like. Yeah, and that's that's tough too because like you can go in the other direction and try and run a game like Ars Magica or Mage, where you're just like given like vague concepts and then been like, all right, try and do something with these, and we'll figure it out from there. Yeah, and it puts a lot. I think it puts a lot of work on the GM at that point to adjudicate. Well, how difficult that is, it can feel pretty capricious. That you know, some players may feel like, well, you let so and so, you know do like jump a full building and then land without any harm why can't i jump from this height and not get hurt you, yeah. you know i'm just off the top of my head but it can just get really weird if, you, if you're not careful so yeah i think but yeah it seems like it's in a really fun like middle ground it's easy to hop into and play without too much like i hope so <laughs> yeah well at least where it is right now i mean it looks like the 2.0 is about oh under 20 pages looks right around there yeah not counting like legal and you know front page <laughs> right. table of contents exactly but, so it's it's at least for the core it's i think it's pretty nice mm-hmm. all in one spot read i got i read it through it again earlier today and i feel oh, like it really cool. clicked cool and it, it's the biggest i'll say the biggest change with 3.0 is i'm i'm moving how the mechanics are displayed a little bit and trying to get them a little bit more um in line i felt like they were a little all over the place i'm trying to just just have a section like here's how the imposition dice system works and to just go straight through it um because the old edition i had um mechanics for initiative that i never used at my personal game and i realized why am i leaving this mechanic in there if i as the game writer don't use it and so i moved it to an optional mechanic um and so it flows much more like Blades in the Dark in that it's narrative first. It's what are you trying to do? And the consequences of the dice will determine how the enemies essentially get their turn, right? If uh, Kind of an example from Blades. If I'm, I'm in a knife fight and I go to stab my opponent and I uh, get a, uh, I think, five or six, was it? No, four, four and five, I think, are a success cool you did it but there's some consequences so you got a slice on them but they were able to get a a stab in right and so that's the consequence of that role 
So I just kind of kept that rolling with this system same way. Your consequences of failures and successes. Uh, I call it the gravity or the, the severity of scale. will determine how the bad guys kind of get their turn. Yeah, that, I like that. There's something kind of like that in the new vampire system where, you know, you start rolling your hunger dice and, oh, so you get to do the thing, but maybe it makes you also near a lot more hungry for blood or, oh, you did the thing, but you also alerted the guards next door. Or yes. so I, I, re- I really like having a, a setting or a system, sorry, that allows for things other than fail, pass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's what I did again with this system it's on a one through uh threes just straight failure four five and six is a uh, success with consequences and then a seven plus is you get exactly what you're what you're after yeah and then and then it's up to the gm to decide well not entirely what makes this system a little bit different um well very different i should say than most is we are using um a D4 through a D12, no D20s currently. And whenever you come to a, a task that you're trying to complete, you roll one, uh, or you'll always roll three dice. You'll roll your path dice, your spell die, which is kind of the general dive of your magical prowess. That's a D, D4 through a D12. And then you'll choose, uh, or then the Crypt Keeper will assign the imposition dice to that role. The imposition dice is essentially the dice check of other systems, right? It's what you need to overcome, essentially, to be effective. And that imposition dice, also ranging from a D4 through a D12, represents the difficulty, with a D12 being the the most difficult of the thing that you're trying to do. And so, for instance, we're talking about uh, hex magic. If I'm trying to cast a fireball type of thing against uh, a group of uh, chupacabra running my way, I would boom, blast them with the, with the fireball. I look at my hex path, and I'm in hex, let's say I have a D8. I pick my D8 dice. Uh, we're just starting out the game, so I start as a D6 in my spell die. And I, I pick that up. So I have a D8 and a D6 that I'm trying to roll, and I'll add those numbers together. And I'm trying to get at least a four with those two dice. And the Crypt Keeper is going to say, well, you're, you know, there are um, people attacking you from all around. You're kind of distracted. It's in the heat of the moment. It really sounds like the imposition. How, how imposing is it to do what you're trying to do? I'm going to set it at a D10. So you pick up a D10 and you roll those three together. If uh, the D10 is higher than any of the other two. You compare those two. The lowest number, the D10 eats it, basically. Room. And you're left, you'll always be left with one die okay. for your final result of the three. So you're hoping that that final die that's left behind is at least a four or better. If uh, those two dice, your, your path and your spell die are higher than the imposition dice, they get added together for your final result. Okay, so you don't just subtract the imposition dice. It's a it's a pass or fail for an right. individual die. Right. So those two dice get get um, compared to that imposition, and if they're higher than the imposition, they go on. If one is lower than the imposition, and if it's you know if I roll two fours and the 
uh, in positions of d6 and only takes away one of the fours. It doesn't take away both. You'll all, like I said, you'll always be left with one die. Um, so I know it's a weird system in that case because I know a lot of people, as I was playing it, would add everything up and then minus. I think that's kind of our natural thing. But I through playtest, I just found that that physicality of of taking something like okay, this cancels that out and being left with that one result was a very uh, fun thing to do and created a really sense of drama as he watched all those dice roll. What's everything going to land at? So it was a lot of fun. It helps you kind of want to keep, since you're rolling the two types of dice together, gives you um, a reason to put like points into both. You're not just... Right. And your spell die is... Rise is is your character level essentially? Your your character level ranges from a D four, but you really start the game at a D six, um, and there's a reason for that we can talk about later. And it goes up to a D twelve, and your spell die only raises up when you're able to raise all of your paths die level by one. Once all of them are raised by one, you get to go up the next level essentially. Um, the uh, of course the side of that. Um, with when I talked about the aspects, your aspects have the ability to resist imposition. So they're, uh, when people pick this up, they can look at the character sheet and your aspects are below the path and there will be these dots along the, the aspect line. And the more dots you have in an aspect, the more you can lower the imposition on something. So if we go back to our original uh, explan- or example, the Crypter Keeper says, well, this is a D10 in position. And the character can go, well, I have three dots in death magic, three uh, resistance dots. So I get to lower that in position three times. So D10, D8, D6. So I'm left with a D4. So I get to can have more control over how easy and hard are, things are to me by the more I focus on a, a given aspect. So that's it's uh, really nice that way um, to to have that kind of level of control. But then, of course, you know, there might become a situation like, well, I'm trying to do thing that's outside of my area of focus. I have no way to resist this. Let's go, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just roll the dice and see where they land. Yeah. Uh, one thing we were talking about before we got together today was um, la, you've had a lot of encouragement from other people in the community to work on this. Yeah. Uh, specifically, and this is you, you'd brought you never heard these of this group before. So, a shout out to all my beggars. Um, the beggar community, uh, oh, I can't remember their last name, only know their first name. I'm so sorry, Irene. Um, uh, a local to me here, uh, they work at uh, Gigabytes. So, if you're in Atlanta, go to Gigabytes. Essentially, it is a group that is begging you to play anything that's not D&D. And... I can get behind that. I can get behind <laughs> that. I know that's kind of some pe- a controversial Twitter argument I've seen around, but I I yeah. can get behind that. So, and not in a drug. You know, it sounds derogatory. It sounds kind of. I can see how some people may find that rude, but it's just in in a sense that please play something else, just so you can, I think, deepen your understanding of dungeons and dragons and in role playing and i think it brings your DD games to a, a very different level and allows you to experiment more and open up more 
um, I ran a cipher system game, which is one of my favorite systems, uh, Monty Cook games. Ran that for about a year, and I started bringing a lot of concepts from that into my D&D games. And just, uh, I learned how to make monsters on the fly on, in D&D, just realizing why am I building full stat blocks when all I need are these, these three numbers, the only thing I need when running a monster. Like, there, why do I need to know every skill or even just three skills, you know, it, what skill do they need to, to that's narratively makes sense for the moment, you know, for them to be proficient in, if you will. And uh, so back to the beggar community, uh, I found them through TikTok, uh, speci- specifically Kirby from Disaster Tourism, who you, know, you interviewed before, and joined up with that, that community just really to talk about cypher system. And then through talking to all of them, just kind of realized like man i've i've had a game idea kicking around and a lot of them are developing their own games like well let me let me sit down and try to flesh this out some more and this idea stemmed just from this is my philosophy with game design is what problem do you see in in the current uh atmosphere uh, environment sorry what problem do you see in this certain environment that you feel some games aren't addressing that you want to see fixed and do you have a mechanic that will fix that or do you have a system that you think can fix that? And when I looked at uh, a lot of wizarding games, I never really felt like wizard duels had a good give and take. You never really felt like, like the good counterspelling, like active counterspelling and 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 uh, shooting my spells back kind of at the same time. It's like I can either kind of counterspell as a reaction and then do my thing. Okay, now it's your turn, but never really had that good kind of back and flow. And so that's where this whole thing started from, uh, because the idea was that your spell die, you could actually lower your spell die, your ability to cast spells to increase your opponent's imposition as you're fighting each other back and forth. So you could make things actively more difficult, but it takes something from you to do that. It takes you know, some of your concentration away. So you're not as powerful, but I can increase your imposition to make it more difficult. And that's what it kind of spun out of. Um, unfortunately, towards the end of these mechanics, as I'm writing them now, I kind of lost that original goal. But I think what I'm left with, I'm really happy with, so I'm I'm not too upset about it. No, I mean when you're starting anything new, it'll it'll always form over time and change. You may not end up where you think you were on any type of creative project, yeah. whether yeah. it's a song or a painting or a game system but i exactly. think exactly i think I, I, I just let it take me where it took me and i didn't fight it and i think that's really when you're talking about any creative endeavor just don't fight the creative uh direction yeah. um unless it's going too wild off the tracks of course but it's good to explore definitely yeah i mean those first couple steps on any sort of creative project are always the hardest yeah. so ha- just having any sort of inspiration to get started i think is most important and you don't owe that original idea anything no. you find something better just keep going with it no but... and I'll, I'll say this and I, I think i don't know if i wrote this in one of the books i'm super if you want to use the word blessed by something some some kind of muse hit me because when i started writing these dice mechanics the lore of this game in my head and everything just whoosh, just spun out from it. I didn't have to sit down and really think about it. It just whole cloth almost dropped in my lap and it was like, boom, crypt, cryptids, crypt keeper, blah, 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 and just spun. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to fight this one. I'm going to take it. 
Um, so I'm super excited about that. Uh, but what I'm, I'm also excited about it is looking at the mechanics. I'm already seeing the potentials for a, well, here's a medieval combat one. So we just, the, the dice system is, I think, solid enough and core enough that I can start just changing out. Well, instead of magical paths, here are my armaments path, blocking, striking, you know, defensives, and those can then mesh back together. So that's what I'm, I'm liking about what I'm seeing. That's kind of a, the future I'm seeing for this system in general is writing, you know, new games, yeah. or new settings. I think that's uh, been really hard for me as I've looked into the idea of like what it would take to make my own game system recently mm. is just like balance and statistics. I'm not, you know, it get, does get you thinking about games differently. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. so you're rolling a D10, but you need an eight or nine. So technically you could, that could be a 20% chance, which means you could roll a D5. And yeah. then it's and- so... You, you get I, caught up in these math yeah, ideas sometimes. Yeah. And I'm not a math person. And I've talked to math people about this system in general to see if we could come up with a dice roller to kind of just, well, let me see what the actual math is behind it. But at the end of the day, I think it's the feeling of rolling and the feeling of the success and failure and how it feels more than the bare bones math. I don't think the math is as important as people want it to be. There are people that really want the math to be solid tight. I think math gets you in trouble. Um, nothing is going to be 100% mathematically perfect. Yeah. Uh, it might just not feel right. Uh, my fiance during playtesting was just like, this feels really hard. She's like, this just feels really hard. And I was like, oh, mathematically, it looks like, that." you know, I kind of feel like this is the way it should play out. Because originally it was a one through four was a failure. And a five, six, seven was, and it's just, I felt really hard. And all I did was shift one through three is a failure. Four, five, six is a success with consequences. Seven plus is a full success. And it felt right. And things flowed. And I was just like, that's all it took. Like, I didn't need a big breakdown of of charts. It's just like, well, this doesn't feel right. (laughs) All right. Let's try it this way. Well, I mean, different games have different success fail rates too, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think math is more important to something like D&D where you have so many different classes and races and spells and abilities getting combined together. Yeah. You need to keep all that. If you were creating something like that, you need to keep that a lot more in mind yeah. than like something like Paranoia or <laughs> Blades in the Dark game. Um, and he, some people like hard stuff. Like I love Call of Cthulhu and that's a game that can spiral out of control and be, get very great yeah. very quickly. Oh yeah. With, with, I played D20 Call of Cthulhu, uh, another Monty Cook, <laughs> a gift. And when I would run that, I would just tell everybody, roll a D10 and add that number to 10. And that's your stats. Like just down the line if you want to. I don't care how many 20s, how many 18s, how many 7s. It doesn't matter. It, at the end of the day, if you see uh, an old one, I don't care what your stats are. <laughs> like, <laughs> and because those were those were a game that was I, you, obviously looking back on it, D20 is just not the right system for Call of Cthulhu for that reason. Um, and it, but it's what the story needs, right? What 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 is the story need or what is the story asking the mechanics to do? And are the mechanics delivering on that? on that question. I think it's probably a good way to think about it. Yeah. What I would be most interested in, if, if people download the game and run it, 
I, I'd love to hear blind runs uh, from people that without me there, because um, that's kind of the next phase is just once I go through this this next uh, right, it's just to start handing it to people and say, hey, would you mind running this? Uh, and then just messaging me and telling me what worked, what didn't make sense. Because um, it's it's easy for me to run, obviously, because I've just, I've got the world, I've got everything in my head. Um, I mean, you could sit down right now and I could, without writing anything, boom, let's go. We have a story. And so that's super easy. But when you uh, hand it to other people who don't have that in their head, yeah, things change. Awesome. So uh, what's the best way for people to give up yeah. you and the crypt is open? Um, so very simple. They can just go to my itch, uh, which I believe is just uh jeffreynbaker.itch.io um and that's all my socials pretty much is jeffrey n baker uh if you don't find me with just jeffrey n baker add a vo to the end of it for voiceover and that will probably also pick up but for the most part it's just jeffrey n baker um but yeah if you go to jeffreynbaker.itch.io that will take you uh, to the landing page well then we'll, you'll see the crypt is open it's the only game i have up there right now click on that and you can download everything um character sheet is a form fillable pdf that was one of my things i made sure i was like you, i can't stand a game where i don't have a form fillable pdf <laughs> yeah that 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 definitely helps a lot yeah i've always uh, been a fan of the print off and then you put it in a plastic sleeve so you can dry erase on it that's been our go-to forever but if we're playing oh, yeah. online the fillable is super helpful oh yeah uh, the, the digital age, especially playing on things like Roll20 and Foundry, I'm just like, oh, uh, just give me something I just I can point and click. <laughs> that's lazy. That stuff's nice online, but I actually have been trying to limit like tech at the table. I feel like it becomes mm. a distraction if you're everyone sitting together. And oh yeah, I mean I haven't been able to play at a table in two years or more. No. So yeah, I'm I'm missing that. I want to get back to a table one day and just yes, get back to. Here's here is just a blank dry erase board in front of me, and I can draw out the scene. I don't need all the minis necessarily. If you got them, cool. Um, so, if 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 people want to play online, I'll, I'll I'll shout out this as well. This actually makes sense. Uh, there is if you, a virtual tabletop called uh, it's just called Roll, R O L E. Um, and I want to, it's just called playroll.com. Okay. If you want to go to playroll.com, it is a bare bones, um, virtual tabletop, very lightweight. It's kind of, uh, people talk about, it's got some of the best, uh, video and, uh, audio built right into the browser. And I already have created a, um, the crypt is open character sheet for roll. So if oh. you're gonna play online, um, I should maybe I'll, I'll make sure that's somewhere on uh, the itch is the link to get that that character sheet for roll. Um, so you can just pull that up as well. So that may help some people if they want to play virtually. Uh, roll.com, playroll.com. And Check I'll make there. yeah, and I'll make sure all these links we've talked about are down in the show cool. notes for anyone who's listening and interested. You can just do a click. But cool. Yeah, um, I suppose, unless there's anything else. Um, no, I mean, just, again, shout out to Kirby and all the other beggars. Thank you all so much for getting me to this place. 
um it's been exciting to to have the support and again this this whole situation's awesome <laughs> uh to be able to talk about it and it's it's definitely gone further than i had anticipated when i started writing it so it's it's a lot of fun yeah well uh thanks for coming on and uh I know we talked about at the beginning, but uh, make sure if you're listening, you check out the uh, trans rights bundle on itch as Absolutely. well. Absolutely, um, There's a bunch of great content in there. I was mm-hmm. looking through it. Um, it's, it's almost overwhelming the amount of good stuff in there. And I mean, for people that are on the fence about indie stuff, uh, money cook games actually threw in a bunch of their PDFs. Really? So, yeah. So even if you already have it, they gave you a way to, to pick up their stuff. If you bought it after, uh, before they added their, um content so if you're big in a cypher system i mean for five bucks i think there's like four or five pdfs of like uh dungeons and in, in different um modules that they threw in there so <laughs> you can't beat it yeah i was pretty excited more on the indie side but i think i saw a bunch of like fan made morkborg content in there mm. dream punk is on there it's a really interesting okay. looking game um, you play with cards. It okay. kind of reminds me of uh, like first edition Changeling, where you're playing different cards with photos on them, and you have to interpret what's on the card oh. to change the dream world around you. So you're playing oh, a card, wow. and then you look at the picture, and you're like, well, I think this aspect of the picture would do this to the world around us. Okay, that's super cool. Yeah, that's one nice. that I've been following for a while. So, but yeah, what's uh, yeah, it's up to 493 items right now. Jeez. So you can have games for the rest of your life. Oh, I mean, like, yeah, you could spend over a year, play one a day. But good, I mean, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. 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 Yeah, well, this is awesome. Thanks again. All right. Well, thank you very much.